Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And we're live. Ah. <laughs> so cool. So cool. I can't wait to introduce you all to uh, who we're going to be chatting with today. So exciting. My um, guest is a marketing leader, uh, ABM practitioner, strategist, um, amazing person to chat with. We chatted briefly earlier, lots to talk about today, mm-hmm. and the CMO of Time, Train, uh, Time Trade, Lauren Mead. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. This is so cool. Let's like, let's dive into it. And so I want to... I want to tell people the theme first, which is the, our marketing leadership series. And so mm-hmm. we're honored to have you here to learn from you today. And, uh, and so here, here's the hammer. I want to pass you. This is Thor's hammer. So Ooh, okay, thanks. take that and smash for me some kind of crazy marketing strategy or you know, bogus you know, stuff that you hear out there all the time that just drives you crazy and you just need to smash it once and for all. All right. So my big smash today is that sales owns the customer relationship and that marketing has to ask for permission to talk to the customer. And I'll give a shout out to Samantha Stone because I actually heard her, um, you know, share this kind of myth and it totally resonated with me as something, you know, I totally believe in is that, you know, for marketing to be successful, we can't, you know, always just go to sales and, you know, obviously you have to be aligned with sales. Don't get me wrong. You can't go and sneak around them, but, you know, make sh- it's so important that marketing is aligned with customers and, you know, can, can speak to their challenges and can interact with them to be good at what we do and be able to align most with what the customer needs is that it's really not an option for marketing to, you know, get engagement with customers and, and you can't allow sales or customer success or whomever to to block you from building those relationships it's such a i'm so glad you called it out it's like such a point because i've been in situations where and whether it's you know our company or you're you're visiting or you're working with someone and you want to nurture someone you know or you want to send a campaign out but oh that leads in a certain status and you can't reach out to them until sales deals with that status Mm -hmm. And, you know, when that lead is like not really interested, it's not really high on sales priority to clean out their, you know, their list of people if you don't have yeah. some good SLA. So I've for sure seen that gridlock that can happen when it's, well, sales zones out now. Oh, really? They do. Okay. All right, what do we do about it? Nothing. Let's go get more leads. You know, it's horrible. Yeah. And I feel especially, you know, when you talk about, you know, building on case studies or even talking to current customers. Right. A relationship with a customer is so complex and there's changing, you know, relationships and things are going on with the implementation and the other stack. And I think so often sales gets like really caught up in the details and they're like, no, you can't talk to them right now because of X, Y, and Z. When it actually comes down to it, you know, we're not asking for a favor. We're, you know, I think sometimes the customer appreciates, you know, their voice being heard and, and how we can better as a whole company support them. So leveraging marketing as a resource to engage the customer and, and share best practices with them or, or get their feedback, I think can be a great addition to building that relationship. Yeah. I love that you said that you're we're not asking for a favor. It's not like, Hey sales, can we please, you know, have permission to go to Tommy's house to play, you know, 
like, what are you talking about? Denied. In this together. And like, no, please don't. Don't email them. Uh, are, do you have an opportunity? What's going on with them? No, no, we don't have anything going on right now, but don't, don't email them. It's like, it, it's, that, it's that, you know, us versus them mentality. That doesn't work. And I think it comes down to a trust thing, right? If you have a great relationship with sales and they trust that you know what you're doing and you know you can can have a intelligent conversation with the customer, then hopefully they should trust you. So I think that's one of the recommendations, I think, in, in terms of getting to that point is start small with sales, you know, sit in on um, calls even just as a silent participant and then just show that you're learning, you know what's going on and, and you can participate in those things with them. And then I think they'll feel a lot more comfortable kind of handing over the reins and, and letting you get directly involved. Yeah, it's so true. Like getting a little bit of, I call it boots on the ground time or just, you know, the front, you know, frontline time where you're just shadowing. I've been a fly on the wall. I remember a particular sales call, you know, I first joined a company and, you know, sales, uh, sales did not think highly of marketing at the time. My predecessor didn't do us any favors. And I just, wanted to hear the conversations with the leads and, and learn when they learned. And one of the first calls I sat in on, you know, all expecting to hear great things. And the first thing the prospect said was, who are you again? And what do you do? Like they had no idea and they had like taken the call and everything. And so I'm like, wow, this is not qualified. They're not educated. They're not, man, this is a waste of the salesperson's time. We can do so much better, you know? And I would have known that if I hadn't sat in on that call. Yeah. And it, it prepares you so much more in terms of how, you, what things, you know, marketing, I think tends to do more of a one-to-many than a one-to-one like sales does. And it gives them such direct insight into, yeah. um, you know, what type of materials and campaigns that we can create. What are the common questions that, you know, your customers are asking so they can work that into your campaigns and hopefully set the stage that sales has either the tools or we're, you know, pre-answering those questions before they get on the phone. I like that. You know, it's so true that sales is a great source for those questions. You know, we're always trying to answer questions with content and well, ideally we are right. The worst case is if we don't answer anything, we just make content for content's sake. But yeah. you know, the better marketers were, were like, Oh, what question can I answer for the buyer? I have no idea. It's like, Hey sales, that's such a great point. Like sales is such a treasure trove of these particular questions. Yeah. One of the things that we're doing on our team is actually I've um, paired a couple people up from marketing with account executives and I asked them to kind of join an account team for a particular opportunity that they're working. So basically we said to sales, like, choose an opportunity that you think, you know, you have a good shot of winning, but it's not a slam dunk. And I want my person from marketing to join every single call with that customer and be copied on those emails. I want you to assign them like homework to help out with that deal so they can really get entrenched in, you know, what are the things that sales is going through to help um, better position us. And and so we can create more of that content and materials to support them. So we just kicked that off, but um, you know, some initial good feedback and, and seeing kind of what that process goes through. I also heard, you know, if you're looking to do it more at scale, it's not something we've done yet, but, you know, I was talking to another um, marketer who actually uses some of the call recording tools that have more of that AI element. So they were using gong.io, taking those call recordings, and actually you can see what are the common questions that people are asking on calls and use that to seed the campaigns in a little bit more of a, a scalable way. That makes sense. You know, whether it's scalable or or not the idea of pairing them up that's really cool so it, it it was a deal that hadn't been sold yet 
And so you're kind of pairing them up through the whole sales process? Yeah. So it's like, you know, we set, hopefully the goal is they will join the very first discovery call all the way through to uh, closing that deal. And our sales cycle tends to be a little bit longer. So, you know, we'll take some time to get that feedback, but, um, you know, it, it hopefully will pay, pay off in terms of building those relationships and really understanding exactly what sales is going through, through the customer acquisition process. You know, I don't think I've ever heard that before, um, the idea of pairing them up for that. And what a great idea. And in my head, I was mentally picturing like a, you know, when you tie the legs together, like a picnic at the park or something, you know, yeah. you know three-legged race, you know. and Like handcuffing them for the rest yeah. of the quarter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was it? I think it was like in Practical Jokers, they handcuffed one of the comedians to a mime for 24 hours, you know, and it's just like, no. That sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And, and then as soon as they uncuffed him at the end, he said, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Like, oh, now you talk. Now you talk. Um, but yeah, I like that idea, but just you know, walking in each other's shoes for a little bit to understand there's so much data you can learn. But of course, yeah. to your point, build that trust and start small with some, you know, little wins. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Gong too. So many people have been talking about that lately. Um, seems like one of those things that probably we should chat with them about. The amount of information that happens on those calls and then not losing that just to, you know, because no one really logs what happens on calls these days. Yeah. You know, they call happened, maybe the next step from it, but not, the content of it and the real magic of it. Yeah, we use sales loft, so we do have call recording, but to my knowledge, it doesn't, you know, take that information and output it in the same way yet, right. um, or at least the version that we have. So it's it's interesting to to be able to dive more into that content and, and get the bigger picture. Yeah, and you know, and speaking big picture, right? Um, you know, as a CMO, like if you would be asked, you know, what's your overall approach to marketing or how do you look at the big picture do you, do you have a, a way that you kind of come into it like let's say you started a brand new company tomorrow like how, when you come in what are you looking at what are you looking for yeah so i think really kind of when i start out and you know i went through this when i joined time trade i think the two biggest things that i try and get really a good understanding of is one, what is the company's goals at a high level to make sure marketing is really well aligned with what the company wants to achieve? And then two, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, just getting a really good understanding of the customer and the market that you're trying to sell to and, and taking those two things into, you know, building out what the strategy is. Because um, I think that goes to what are we trying to achieve? And then, you know, how are we going to get there? How are we going to get people really interested in what we have to offer? And how are we going to take them through that process to hopefully become a, a very happy customer? Um, you know, I think one of the things in here in terms of goals and goal setting, I think for me, again, it's, it's all about alignment. So starting with the company goals and then kind of going, you know, down from there. So for me, you know, as someone who has a history as a demand gen marketer, I'm really interested in the funnel. So every quarter I sit down with our head of sales and we kind of do everything backwards and we say, okay, what's our sales goal? What are our conversion rates all the way down and, and calculating everything out from that perspective. Um, and my philosophy tends to be quality over quantity. So where we do measure every stage of the funnel in terms of like inquiries and leads, I actually 
you know, marketing and the BDR team runs up into marketing at time trade. Um, I task my team with uh, generating opportunities, sales accepted opportunities, because if we're generating a ton of leads, that's great. But if they're not quality leads, who cares? It's not tied to revenue. Um, so really helping them take a little bit more ownership over the, you know, building revenue. And, you know, we use some of those early indicators such as inquiries and leads to be, you know, exactly what I said, early indicators of are right. we going to get that opportunity goal? Are we generating enough so that we can diagnose if there's a problem, what needs to be done? Well, we're not hitting the opportunity number because we're not generating enough leads. Is it because, you know, we're not, um, converting the leads bet enough? How, how do we look at those different elements in terms of what it drives? I, 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 like, I like that. I, you mentioned, you know, leads are the early indicators, but they're not the goal. You know, that's right. not the final outcome. I think that, yeah. that makes so much sense. And I, I can see how sales would give you so much more buy-in knowing that you're not just trying to throw something over the wall. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, a lead, how you define it is <laughs> so many different ways. You know, I think when I started here, a lead was like someone who clicked the link in an email and then we've implemented lead scoring and a lot more, you know, qualitative um, and, and quantitative metrics in terms of how we identify who's the right person and when do we engage with them. And even, I mean, how you define an opportunity and when that handoff point between each of the different um, groups, I think is really important. And we've seen it as I've been here, as our you know business needs have shifted, we've shifted those hammed off points several times. So, you know, if it, with a bigger BDR group and, you know, we, we were sending over less qualified leads, maybe if we have a smaller group and we want them to be more focused on outbound as we implemented ABM, we tightened that criteria up a little bit more and marketing took more ownership over nurturing those early stage leads versus the BDRs. And then we've also gone back, like, do you just send sales over like a meeting or do we really qualify that person and, and nurture them for a longer period within the BDR group? So we've seen a lot of different changes based on, you know, our teams and what their strengths are. And oop, my lights went out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Flickering lights. <laughs> yeah. No, that, I, I, lo I love that. Where does ABM fit into that for you? So for us, I think, you know, one of the blessings and challenges that we had at time trade is like, if you have customers that you talk to, you probably could use appointment scheduling, right? So mm -hmm. there's a really vast um, market out there. And I think there's a lot of, a little bit of confusion in the market because if you Google online appointment scheduling, there's like hundreds of vendors that will come up. So it's a pretty competitive space, but specifically where time trade, you know, is focused from our direct sales efforts where, you know, my team is really supporting. We are more focused on enterprise type of companies that, that have a more, um, you know, sophisticated approach to doing that. We're not competing with some of those lower end vendors where it's like a buy online type of thing, specifically in our direct sales model. We do have a more, um, you know, online based product, but, you know, we're really targeting some of our customers include Best Buy and Lowe's and, you know, 10 out of the top 20 banks and, and really huge um, software and technology companies that have really sophisticated requirements and that, you know, from a direct sales model, you need those bigger deals to 
you know, have the return on marketing sales investment that, you know, you need to be a successful company. So that's kind of where we started um, with ABM is really we wanted to make sure that we were focusing on the companies that one, we knew we were best positioned to solve their needs and have the best conversion rates to be better aligned with sales because we could serve such a broad market. We had like new salesperson come on and be like, I'm going after this market today. And marketing's off like running campaigns at a completely different market and they're like well marketing doesn't give me any like content that I need to you know <laughs> do my campaigns and like sell my process I'm like because we're not focusing on that so you know we really sat down and we said all right where do we win where do we lose and we use you know both we just kind of talked about it as well as use data to back that up and we yeah. really defined what's our target market um and and from there like we said like marketing this is the only place we're running campaigns. If somebody wants to come inbound to us and, and we get that stuff all the time, that helps inform kind of what is our, the growth strategy for adding additional markets. But from an outbound perspective, these are the only areas that we're going after as a company. And then we you know, really got down to the account level, pairing with BDR and sales for them choosing the accounts that they were gonna go after on a more one-on-one basis and making sure marketing was aligned and, and doing campaigns to go after that account and help convert those accounts. Um, so really we kind of, it was all about tightening in, narrowing down and improving our conversion rates and the accounts that for us really mattered. Makes sense. How, how do you approach the, I guess this, you'd be the, the perfect person to ask this question to um, drum roll. Uh, <laughs> you said such a huge market and, you know, let's say before you even focus on enterprise, it, how, how do you approach defining that, that target market? You know, it, and you mentioned a little bit of data and a little bit of something else, you know, any kind of details on, on how you, you know, because I could see someone being like, well, let's sell to everybody. Yeah. So for us, it was kind of like we looked, we started with the data. So we said, okay, let's take all the opportunities that we've generated over the last, you know, I can't remember what the period we used was like, say it was a year. Okay. We said, okay, like which person, you know, and we broke them into categories based on industry, size of company, employees. We also looked at like technographic type of information, what what other things were in their stack. And we said, what were some of the common characteristics in the company, in the deals that we lost? What were some of the common characteristics in the companies that we won? And like, where do we see the most success in terms of solving those problems? You know, one of the things we saw is like sometimes if a company didn't have that much complexity in what they were trying to do from an appointment standpoint, they're, you know, you can buy something online or you get something online for free that would solve their problem. So could they use time trade? Absolutely. But maybe there's something just less expensive that solves their problem. So really understanding, you know, for those bigger companies, are they using Salesforce? Do they want appointments directly integrated with that? Are they trying to, you know, look at like routing people to specific locations and have a lot of skill based, um, routing to the appointments, you know, do they have to have multiple people on different calls or scheduling resources, all those questions that really go into the use case. So in this right. case for us, we kind of look at them a little bit similarly because they tend to, to fall in line. Um, so we saw those characteristics and then we kind of added on where people would say like, okay, you know, we like this one because of this, we don't like this one because of that. And then we really dr- drilled down into, um, you know, we, we basically came up with 10,000 companies off of that, that wow. met the size, the, um, 
industry use case um, and technographic criteria that we set forth. And those are the ones, you know, from an outbound perspective, we were really going after. And it, those are also not one size fits all. So we have different, you know, messaging and channels within that 10,000, but that's kind of the subset. And it really breaks down, I think, to like five, you know, personas that we're really selling into, um, which makes it a lot more um, reasonable for marketing to really do full, more integrated campaigns into those people. Right. And it made total sense when you started describing some of the more advanced features, you know, and then if you're more of that simple, either a solo user, tiny company, or Mm -hmm. you just want to book something great. But some of the things you mentioned there, if you wanted that, those other tools would not serve you. (laughs) You'd be so angry to try to fit into one of those. So I could see those questions coming up in the process. You know, do you have Salesforce? Do you value integration into that? You know, yeah. if yes, then it's like a no-brainer. If mm-hmm. no, then okay, now we know where we're what we're talking about here. Yeah. I could see that even tying into like lead grading and scoring and 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 rating whether a, a lead is a good fit or not. But you did all this to figure out who those ten thousand companies were, which yeah. is really cool. Tell me about the persona work. Did you did you do buyer interviews or how did you kind of come up, figure out those, those 10,000 sort of fit into, you know, five major buckets. Yeah. So we did do a little bit. I mean, I think the nice thing was a lot of that 10,000 fell like pretty heavily within our customer base. So there were people um, that we had a lot of experience selling to in the past and we did have a lot of pre-existing content. There are certainly some holes in terms of what we had to validate, but um, we had a pretty good handle on those people already. So it was kind of going back to saying, okay, now we've identified our strengths and what we're really good at. Let's just pick off that low hanging fruit. And there's plenty of opportunity in our core markets that if we just focus a little bit more on that area, we can, can really convert them. Because we already have the case studies and references and content. So it's all about just taking what we had and, and using it more effectively. Guys, just rearranging a little bit of that. The, yeah. In terms of the personas, did they did did you break those up into just the way that people buy, or you know what what was your approach to that? Because I know a lot of people think of personas as profiles and vice versa, and, and there's some confusion around it. Yeah, I mean, we definitely look at like we mapped persona to title, right? But we did find so, for example, in um, like re, like retail, we sell mostly I would say it's like operations type of people who, so, you know, if in the case of your scheduling people in, in stores, you obviously need to staff the right people. You need to have places to take those meetings. You need to have like the technology infrastructure in place for the people taking the meetings and appointments. Right. You know, there's a lot of operational elements that they think about like, ah, how am I actually going to make this work? And that's the challenge that they face. And there's a lot of different titles. IT sometimes falls within that group and has those same challenges. And then there's like the marketing persona where they're just like, I want to drive the most people into store as possible. And I want attribution for why my digital campaign made somebody walk into that store. Right. And, and there's a lot of different titles that fall under that area. So we kind of group a lot of the titles and we see, you know, actually where you would think retail and banking are very different. A lot of the, you know, it's the same type of titles in both of those companies that we tend to run into and their challenges 
while, while unique are, are very similar in terms of what they're trying to achieve. So it's little spins on those things, but we, we were able to group several titles into different personas and see overlap even across industries. That's so cool. I, you know, the fact that, I mean, that's why I love personas because it, you know, without them, you would be looking at all the different industries you might serve and be like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, like I have to do 14 different versions of this white paper it's overwhelming but then when you really looked at it and i think you know you took the time to understand not just who the customer is but like what they're trying to do and like the context for how they're deploying it so to be able to relate that retail and banking had some very similar overlaps maybe the buildings look different but internally they they were basically trying to use it the same way and then, you know, maybe in market automation, the little, maybe the images change, but the, the core of the message is, is the same. I mean, it's so yeah. smart. And thinking of the use case, I think really helps with that is like, ultimately, both groups are trying to drive people into physical locations to meet with like knowledgeable associates, right? So from that perspective, that, that's where the core of what they're trying to do. And then you take that nuances and like, what are they meeting about? And, you know, why do they want to have a meeting? Um, is it to try and sell you something or better engage the account, things like that. But it, when it comes down to they're both kind of trying to solve a very similar challenge. And it makes total sense, right? When you mentioned big box stores and we were talking like the best buys, but we were talking earlier today about those, you know, you, you couldn't deploy a simple solution, even if it was like $9 a month. Yeah. Like, how would you do that across hundreds of stores? You like, that would be impossible to operationally, you know, roll it out. Whereas it might still be a challenge, but it'll be a mass improvement to be able to roll out some sort of enterprise solution at that point. So yeah, that makes total sense. Understanding and picking your battles, not just trying to go after everyone, because if you start trying to serve the, you know, the little folks, then Best Buy is like, well, maybe you don't really have our solution. You know, you have to, you have, it's, I don't know, it's kind of scary sometimes sort of picking, but in this case, you're picking the right one and and those customers are big enough. And then you'd have a, a big enough cost, you know, cost per acquisition and you'd be able to spend some money on marketing to get them in the door. Yeah. And we actually saw, you know, because prior to using ABM, it was a little bit on the reps to say like, I'm going to go after this company. And we had like BDRs will be like, it's way easier for me to sell to this like hundred person company than it is for me to go after this like a hundred thousand person company. So like they were like kind of going and they're paid, you know, per meeting or per opportunity. So they didn't really care. So they're like going after the low hanging fruit from that perspective which, you know, to their credit was the right thing for them to do. But for us, it was like meaning we're spending a lot, the same amount of sales and marketing efforts, but not getting as much revenue per deal. So by really focusing on those accounts that had the highest value, we actually saw that companies that we sold that were a target account versus when you looked at the ones that weren't had four times that ASP. So a pretty significant uplift in terms of, um, the value of the deal. It's not because we're charging them more. It's just because like, you know, they're bigger companies that needed, you know, when we price out per resource, they had more resources to schedule. You said ASP? Yeah. Oh, sale price? Price, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it was 4X you were saying? It was just that much? Yeah, and you could do more with that, you know? Mm -hmm. You're not stuck with a really cheap ad campaign or buying a list and spamming it. You can can do those ABM things with the larger companies and the bigger enterprises. Um, Question. Is it 100% ABM or do you have a mixture of the two? Is the 10,000 companies it or is there like a little bit of everything? How, how do you do that? 
So, I mean, I think it's, an, I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent AMM, right? So we'll still do like industry webinars and you get stuff that doesn't come in that fa doesn't fall within those 10,000. But for example, if we're doing an event, one of the things that we always do when we evaluate an event, we say like, what percentage of those attendees overlap with that list? Mm. So it's kind of that criteria that helps us say yes or no. Same thing when we do a webinar where you're using an industry publication to partner with to, to reach a wider audience. We look at their, um, you know, the, the market that they serve and say, how much overlap is that? So you, there's always a chance, you know, people coming in that are not in that 10,000 and we, we certainly don't turn them away, but it's from, you know, where we purposely go, we, we really try and hit that 10,000 as much as possible. Oh, I love that. It, and I love bringing it back to the list too afterward by saying, what percent of people were in that? And yeah. then you're aware. It, do, you, do you turn the other people away or maybe you, I mean, do you have some sort of process in your lead gen or to be able to figure out and qualify someone ahead of time? No, yeah, I mean, we, like through the scoring, we can kind of identify. We also, um, in addition to lead scoring, we also implemented account scoring. So we use DataFox to do that for us. Cool. So we built out that scoring model in that in addition to someone's title, we'll look at the company and see how much that company meets the criteria. And, you know, when we'll get, say, a webinar list, sometimes we'll just pull out, you know, we won't even put into Salesforce the people that don't meet our target criteria because we don't want the BDRs to spend a lot of time on, on getting them. So we've really put a lot more thought into the quality of the data in our system to make sure we're, we're reaching the right people. We actually added a role on my team who's really like almost half of his time is focused on data and building out the contacts and those accounts and, and making sure that 10,000 is, is really well covered. Wow. So really investing in that, but it makes total sense to, mm -hmm. to zero in your attention on the ones that are the, the best fit. Because with all those questions you, you mentioned earlier, that list of 10,000, that's like a solid list. Yeah. You, know, it, you know, it's almost like it should be a no brainer to these people. If we can get the right message in front of the right person, it's like, yeah, come on. Like yeah. all of your counterparts, they <laughs> all are customers already. Yeah. You know, if you're still manually doing those scheduling, then like, ah, oh, come on, let's fix this. So exactly. It, it, that's more fun for sales too, to get on a, a call with someone and all their top five, you know, bullet points in the sales mm -hmm. side and their playlist are like well received. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want this? Yeah, I do. Do you want this? Jeez, I really want that. Oh, you're like, yeah. great. Well, okay. They're like going on all day and like pivoting in so many different directions. It's hard to really like get in and, and be good and understand the needs of your buyer. So I think it's really helped our sales team be more effective because, you know, they're working with these companies all day and, and they really know the, the challenges and can share with them best practices that they've heard from other companies. Right. I could, I can see the that persona work benefiting sales too just to that bigger conversation of look it's a bank or it's retail but here's the use case here's i'm sure that's just all around the playbooks and the communication just to be aware mm -hmm. of that that use case yeah so cool so cool i love this this is fantastic um you know tell me i mean time trader right it it's it's scheduling for meetings I, I'm kind of aware, but like overall in the big picture, how does it fit into, into the marketing ecosystem or do you, or do you sell the sales or, or where does the, 
that kind so of it's thing. a mix. So like the core of where time trade came from are kind of those, the type of companies I was mentioning earlier. So we sold to a lot of banks and a lot of retailers, specifically yeah. people that, um, you know, we're meeting with customers in a physical location and dealing with all the complexities and staffing and integrations that were required for that. A couple of years ago, though, we introduced an um, app on the Salesforce App Exchange, which kind of leveraged our core technology, but completely integrated it within Salesforce. And for us, that opened up a huge new market for people that are hosting remote meetings and using Salesforce, you know, just like, you know, time trade, like we you know, drink our own champagne yeah. to, to route meetings, you know, from our website to our wraps, you know, from our BDRs as they do outreach and scheduling meetings for our sales team. We use it throughout our, our process. So even after somebody is sold as a customer, they use our product to set up all the onboarding and um, implementation meetings and then regular meetings with our customer success team. So it's really like for companies that, you know, if you want to have that really consistent experience and give your customers full access to your team, it, it can um, really play out. And because we are a lot more um, configurable and integrated with the systems they're already using, it's great um, to, to cover all those teams. So from on like a B2B perspective, we're selling into marketing, sales, um, and then the customer success support groups. Oh, that's very cool. And it's on the App Exchange. Awesome. We'll definitely have to link to that uh, in the yeah. show notes so people can check that out. And I'll, for, I'll, sure, I'll check that out too. Very cool. Very cool. You know, who are you? Where did you come from? You're like this, this wizard of, of marketing knowledge. Take us back. Take us like back to like little Lauren. You know, like how did, did you always know you wanted to get into marketing or how did this all come about? Sort of. So I'm Boston born and raised. I have not gone too far. I grew up around here. Um, Red Sox. Oh, yeah. Go Bruins <laughs> right now. Go Bruins right now. Stanley <laughs> Cup, baby. Absolutely. Um, so I think, you know, I, I always knew I kind of liked creative and those types of elements. I think if you asked me, I thought I would want to be like a party planner. And I think that's actually how I kind of got some of my inroads to marketing is events tend to be such an integral part of, you know, marketing in some cases. So that's where I started out. But as I kind of got experience in that, I realized there's so much more. And when you think about how companies can leverage, you know, experiences and in interacting with cu customers, I kind of got a taste of all those different bits. Um, and that's kind of how I expanded. If you had asked me if I would be like work for a technology company, I probably would have laughed at you, but that's, you right. know, where I've spent my entire career and actually really love it. So, yeah. So you actually went to school for marketing too. Yeah. So I did um, my undergrad at Merrimack College around here. And then I did my MBA at Bentley, both focusing on marketing. So I think once I kind of got that early touch into it, I was like, yes, no, I like this. And I think what I love about marketing is it's just like changing so continuously. And, and you know, every time you apply it, it's so different. Yeah, that's true. It really is evolving as much as we like when things stay the same. We also like when they change and marketing has a little bit of all of that, you know? Yeah. Like SEO 20 years ago is nothing like it is today, you know, and, um, or any of the, any of these tactics and strategies that makes Yeah, sense. I was laughing at the, um, one of the questions on your list was around marketing automation. And I think back to like my very first marketing job and what like marketing automation was like, we literally bought, we didn't even buy it. We were like 
for too cheap, we had this free tool that would send out emails and you only send 500 at a time. So I'd have to like export the list, upload the 500 and like send the email and then like upload the next time I send the email. <laughs> I was like, wow. Stuck to five, like 500 now. emails at a time? Yeah, that was what we did. What and then called? we found out it was like, oh, it's like $30 to like buy the full subscription. You can send like 100,000 at a time. I was like, what have I been doing? <laughs> it wasn't like a constant contact or a MailChimp or something? I, don't, I think it was like before those things even. Oh, like, really? It was like <laughs> back in the day. I don't remember the name of it, but it was, it was not pretty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I remember the times uh, when, you know, before marketing automation and ROI, like it was just yeah. all about activity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the, my favorite stories is when I had a CEO ask me one time, I was like a little marketing manager trying to eat my lunch in the cafeteria. And he mm -hmm. came on by and he's like, how many emails did we send this month, Casey? And <laughs> I actually knew I was about a million. I was like, Oh, about a million emails. And he was like, well, next month let's send a million and a half, you know, <laughs> like that would some, and this was like it integration software. So yeah. this isn't, we're not selling Nike shoes here, right? <laughs> like yeah. Half a million emails to the same people are not going to make anyone your friend if they're just right. rushed out there. So yeah, yeah, I remember just trying to actually, I want, I also spent, three or four hours doing some like Excel wizardry because I came, mm -hmm. came into one company as like the marketing coordinator and like yeah. hey, this report that gives us ROI, historical ROI. So, and there's this like long five page process. It was called the FLS report, um, which is kind of like the TPS report. Yeah, I was just going to say it sounds like Yeah. And, and it would take me three or four hours of just like grunt Excel, copy, paste, move around. Eventually I like learned how to make macros just to automate that whole process. <laughs> but all this work to just know if you spent money on um, an ad at the beginning on freemium software, did it eventually convert at the end? Like all yeah. that was, the, it was trying to hack that. Um, yeah. And, uh, but nowadays it's like, it's a no brainer if you have marketing automation. Yeah. I mean, I think it's getting, I mean, there's so much more to our access, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, things are becoming so much more convoluted with all the different touch points and all the data that it gets even more challenging. You know, we look at digital ads, right? So they feel like generally we don't see a ton of opportunities coming directly through digital ads, but what we now can track is like, what's the view through rate. So we just served them a digital ad. Maybe they didn't click on it, but then that same person came back through and visited our website right. and like tracking the attribution on that. And like, you know, email campaigns. Similarly, we're not seeing a ton of direct attribution to sending an email, but you know, it's directly tied to our direct web traffic and you know how we drive leads through our website. And you know, you take your foot off the gas on any of those different mm -hmm. areas, and you know, it, it's gonna maybe it might take you a little while, but you're gonna ultimately see the impact. So you got to kind of really touch every channel. Yeah, it's tough because those touches for sure they help you just you well maybe it's a gut feeling or maybe you can prove it but whether you can or not they are helpful you are you're in if they're good yeah engaging and you're teaching and, and it's moving someone along that sales process especially if it's like a multi-month one but yeah. you can't always directly you know associate individual emails that you send right. a larger effort you know and i think first touch is easy you just okay i found you at this trade show you bought this deal from us eventually, but all that stuff in the middle is so murky, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it makes a difference. I mean, I love 
I think from as a marketer, right, I get bombarded with marketing emails all the time. I actually look at a lot of them like <laughs> Me too. because I'm trying to see like what else other people are doing and like learning and I can we have pretty strict IT policies here. So they're like, do not click links in any email, you know? So I, I never click. If you have attribution for me on an email, it doesn't happen. But I'm like, you know, I'm learning and eventually I'm learning that brand. And when I do have that problem and I'm going to look for something, those companies that have been kind of nurturing me over time, they're going to be the first ones I call. Yeah, I, I like to archive emails. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting topic. Don't have time to research that now, archive. Yeah. I don't know if I ever go back and research it, but it kind of feels nice knowing that I've got some some bytes stored somewhere yeah. that may have that content. Hopefully, it's still available and yeah. that's when I want it. Yeah. So cool. cool. Well, question, you know, really kind of like, you know, the final question or really like the important one is, you know, you're, you're a senior marketing leader, you're CMO. Um, you don't just start out that way from college. If you were to look back and advise yourself whether – you know, you're just getting into marketing in school or maybe when you just got out of school, you know, what kind of advice would you give yourself for your, your own marketing career? Like, what would, you, what would you tell yourself that maybe you didn't know when you first started? Yeah, I think I didn't do it intentionally, but I think one of the, you know, biggest things that helped me get to where I am is just being so willing to jump into new challenges and take on things as I saw them as an opportunity, right? So like, that, you know, going back to that marketing automation topic, you know, when I started out in a marketing, you know, manager role and just like being focused on campaigns, I saw an opportunity where I was like, we're using this terrible marketing automation system. I saw that the market had changed in terms of like, you know, what you can do with marketing automation. So I said like, Hey guys, I think we need to rethink this. It wasn't my job to do that, but I also just didn't sit back and, and take it. And as you know, different needs came up at the company, I was always kind of one of the first ones to say like, yeah, I'll pitch in on that. And maybe, you know, I didn't get the promotion right away or it wasn't directly tied to my comp at that time. But I think thinking of the bigger picture in the long run, it, it tended to pretty much always pay off. And I got to try out so many different areas in marketing and grow my skill set. And I think just showing that kind of team player and, and looking at those as opportunities for me to advance my personal growth was really, I think, what would help me continue to grow and, and, you know, work my way up the ladder. That makes total sense. And it kind of ties into what we were just chatting about, how, you know, sometimes you, you can't track all the marketing in the middle, you know, right. and, and for the career, you know, you were like, look, maybe I don't have immediate ROI on this, yeah. you know, me kind of pitching in on this project or jumping in on this thing, but I'm just going to do it anyways. And, yeah. or even that, you know, that when you're, you're kind of reevaluating what platform to use or what marketing automation, no one asked you to, but you, you cared, you know, yeah. and then you went for it. Um, but all those experiences, I mean, I think that that was kind of like you, your leadership starting to shine you know, early on even. Yeah. So just jump in. If you see something that needs to get done, I feel like sometimes people are like, well, it's not my job. Like, I feel like those are never the people that, you know, end up yeah. getting ahead. Yeah, I'm sure those aren't the people you hire when you're, when you're hiring, you know, future marketers as well. Totally. I mean, I've always kind of been at like mid-sized to small companies. So it's, it's like all hands on deck for everything and it makes the day go by fast, but you, you can really grow because you get to get your hands in so many different areas and, what I love about being at companies of this size. It's true though. It, it's way more fun being, well, I don't say being over busy, but when you're busy and, and 
taking on things, even if like when you're in that hustle and the bustle, the energy is so cool, especially for those yeah. smaller companies, you can actually get real things done. Yeah. Yeah. You like have an idea one day and like all of a sudden it's like done the next day and you're, you know, putting it in place. That's really cool to be able to see you and your team have that influence. Yeah. And then sales closes it down and you're like, look what we did. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Success. Well, where, where do you, uh, are you, any events you're going to be at coming up Any, you know, where, where can people find you and what events? And then also, you know, what kind of, you know, where, where can they connect with you? So like LinkedIn or Twitter, what are some of the places? Sure. So I'm on um, LinkedIn and Twitter. LinkedIn is probably the best place if you're looking to see some of the content I'm sharing. I'm a little more active on there. Um, And then in terms of events, I think I'm queued up for three events this summer. Um, I think the first one I'll be at the PFL Customer User Conference, Big Sky, Big Ideas in July out in Montana, sharing some of the work that we've been doing from an ABM perspective, um, specific to direct mail um, with them and some of their customers. And then I'm going to be at the B2B MX Conference um, also in Boston in August, which is, um, this is the first year they've done an East Coast event, but I was just at their uh, West Coast event earlier this year. Fantastic conference. I highly recommend it. And then um, MX, you said? B2B MX. So the B2B marketing exchange. Oh, cool. And actually this, this one, they're actually incorporating sales. So we'll be a lot focused on sales and marketing alignment. And I'm actually going to be co-presenting with our CRO, kind of how we're, we've um, you know, evolved our funnel and all the handoff processes in the funnel as our, our business needs change. Oh, that makes, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll be at um, the MarTech event. I think that's in the fall, also here in Boston. Okay. And you said the PLFL event is in Montana? Yeah, that's where they're headquartered. So I'm looking. I've never been out there. We get to do a little tour of Yellowstone. So that's a nice selling feature. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing a Salesforce event out there. I haven't been out there either. Um, and it's um, Big Sky Dreaming, one of the Salesforce <laughs> user events. And yeah. oh, they, they're calling it all calling it Big Sky. <laughs> Uh, but for some of my friends who've been there say that the sky just really feels big compared to out here. So we shall see. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to that one. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. I mean, this has been fantastic. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. And I, I love how these things are coming out more and, and marketers and sales are sharing like their best practices and knowledge. And I think as we all, you know, learn from each other. We can all do better and make it a better, you know, buying and selling experience for everyone. So. Yeah. I love that. Love that. And you know, and for everyone listening, if you've learned something and I know you have, because I literally have two pages (laughs) of notes front to back. I went to school here. Uh, I've learned a bunch. So if, if you've learned a lot out there, share this with someone else, get this in their hands. So that makes you the thought leader and you're getting the content in front of them that they can learn from. And again, Back to Lauren's point, it makes a better experience for the customers. So let's do that. And uh, for everyone out there, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.